You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I'm Gil Cracky, thrilled to be here. Um, had the privilege of being at the Advent for 20-something years, a long time. Came here right after college, which is hard to believe, and been in a variety of roles. I'm the director of ministries and programs is what I'm called, which just means I get to kind of help out wherever is needed. And as Matt mentioned, one of the responsibilities that I get to do is help coordinate the, uh, the adult education classes. Um, the Advent often we call ourselves a preaching and teaching parish, and it's fed back to us, it seems to be. would love to hear y'all's feedback on that, of why you're coming to, to the Advent. That's one of the things I do think that sets us apart, is just, at least just a little bit. So with a great emphasis on the preaching that happens in the, the services, of course, all of our services, also the teaching part, um, where we may have a slightly shorter sermon than some churches, but we come to a 40-minute Sunday school class. And as you probably noticed already, depending on where y'all are coming, y'all are coming from, a little bit different than some churches where you join a Sunday school class. Um, that's not quite the same way we do it here. We have an ad hoc, or maybe you could say just a menu of classes. It's not really ad hoc. Um, a menu of classes that you get to go to. Some of them are going to be series. So you might want to say, I'm going to go to this series, these six weeks. We have Dennis Sansom, for instance, teaching in a couple of weeks. He teaches um, philosophy over at Samford. And he's going to do a six-week series on the atonement, which I think is a great theme for Dennis. Uh, or you could just do an ad hoc class. Um, Deborah Layton's teaching one this morning. It's just what we'd call a one-off class. So lots of options for the adult classes, which I'm sure Fontaine and Matt will fill you in on closely. Um, we don't join Sunday school classes. We do have small groups, which I bet y'all talked about, and Fontaine does a masterful job. She's a wizard with that. You join a small group. Either uh, indefinitely, like sign your name in blood, and you wonder, how am I ever going to break up with this group? <laughs> um, which is something our group talked about a lot at once, one, one, one part in our lives. Um, or, uh, or we have some that are very seasonal. Um, you join it for a semester, for a year. A lot of options, a lot of menus. <coughs> so there's that, and then also the Linton Preaching Series, like Matt said. Really one of our bread and butter Good. Yeah, you right. Did you right. see that? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all happened to be tender balance. I'm doing great. Don't worry about me. Our bread and butter series, uh, where it's hard for me to believe, but we have traced it as honestly and as diligently, with, as diligently as we can. But it's been 111 years that uh, during the weekdays of Lent, we've had somebody preaching in this building, which is amazing. It's just an amazing succession of day in, day out, the cumulative effect of the preached word during Lent. Um, that's something we uh, just treasure, that I treasure personally. Um, and so uh, I, I realize that if you live or work away from downtown, the effort to get here is, is near Herculean, having to leave your office, leave your house, drive downtown, find a parking space, walk in, get there enough time to go to church, stay for lunch and all. That's a two-hour event minimum. Um, we hope you'll come, but we know that you may only come one or two times during Lent, but for people that work downtown who can just walk across the street, we do hope you'll encourage your friends to do that, or if you do, just to, to you know, Brandon's been here several times already. Um, 
to come. You can get a bag and go. There's the express line. The that's where I always eat. I'm always in Klingman. It's in and out very quickly. Um, that's the that's the that's where the cool kids eat actually is in Klingman. We have soup and sandwich and, and, and critique the sermon. Act like we know what we're talking about. So. No, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So, how's your throat? Better. Yeah. Gosh, I was celebrating communion and I got like one of those catches. Oh no, the next five minutes are going to be terrible. Um, well, so why don't we uh, go around and introduce ourselves again for our sake, but also for Gil's. Uh, this time I'd love, yeah, you've got to be careful. Um, like Tom Hanks and Big. I think when they bought these chairs, they probably had buyer's remorse and there was like some no return policy. Um, why don't we go around and say our names again? But also, would you mind, today we're going to talk about baptism and also the concept of repentance. And uh, would you mind, if you've been baptized, just saying where that was, uh, if you if you know, uh, maybe even uh, how old you were. Uh, so name and uh, just briefly where and when you were baptized. If you're one of our shepherds, again, can you kind of flag that for us? Oh, wait, I, maybe I should always start. Matt, uh, and I was baptized when I was 26, I think, in Chevy Chase, Maryland, uh, as a relatively new... I've been a believer about a year and a half, but um, anyway, that was the late. Right? Yeah, I was, so, but Sarah... Sarah Webb, I was baptized as an infant in Pensacola, Florida, at the Episcopal Church that I grew up in. Uh, Brandon was baptized Catholic. I have no idea how old. I assume a baby. I think at uh, Blessed Sacrament, which is an old Catholic church over in Denver. Huh. Should we go in the back? I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. But oh, wait. Okay. Um, my name is Suzanne Benson, and I was baptized as an infant, as an infant in Montgomery, Alabama, at a Lutheran church. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 I'm Ashley Essig. Um, I was baptized in the Baptist church, and I was eight in Henson, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Kathy Anderson, um, I was christened, uh, I think it's what they refer to as mm-hmm. in a Methodist church in Mobile. Okay. Chuck Holmes, I was baptized as a infant uh, at St. John's Episcopal in Johnson City, Tennessee. Amanda Thames, I was baptized in Nashville at a Presbyterian church. Brett Thames, I was baptized as an infant at All Saints in Mobile. Uh, don't have any recollection of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was cold. Yeah. Uh, Andy Webb, I think I was baptized in Senatonia, Mississippi. Last time we did this, I was supposed to go ask my parents. I never did. I was just going to say, for all those you were saying, I think, I want you to do homework. <laughs> anyway, Here sorry. Uh, remember. Then, uh, Andy, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. Definitely don't remember. Jeannie Pate, I was christened at the Eastside United Methodist Church. Robert Tangle and Tangle Mala Vista. Fantastic. Um, he's like, you know, Methodist, um, but I think it was a baptism. It wasn't a christening, was it? It's, it's really a baptism. It is. <laughs> but then we do a confirmation, too, so we went through a right. like Yeah. And so we know this is true because you were there. She was there. <laughs> That's right. We <laughs> <laughs> have a witness. Everybody has to Caroline, why don't we go in the, the back? I'll interrupt because it's a fun story to me. We do weird things, and so Caroline was baptized on April 27, 2003, 
And I remember that because on April 27, 2004, their daughter was born. So, so it's kind of a funny sort of thing that we line up. And that's the same way with my cousins. Yeah. She was born on my sister's birthday. We're great planners. Yeah, I was going to say, gosh, really. Sort of the I was baptized. I'm John Hargrove. Um, I was baptized at Huntsville United Methodist Church when I was really little, and I can't come close to getting into today. <laughs> I don't know when I was. But I wasn't confirmed until uh, much later when I was in graduate school in Nashville. And then West Indian United Methodist Church, and then we came Episcopalian about a year later, when I got married. I'm Rebecca Picos. I was baptized Baptist when I was 13 in Lancaster, South Carolina. My husband, I guess this is true, um, <laughs> he's sick, but he was baptized at 40 days old, because that's how they do it. They grieve Orthodox Church. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool. On the day, so if it's a Wednesday, they, they, they come in. They go, that's really like great. They hold a candle the whole thing. Oh, I don't know how they have a room that place now. Uh, Megan Jones, I was um, baptized in the Baptist church I grew up in when I was 11, in Carrollton, Georgia. Hi, Justin Jones, uh, baptized at, it was in 13, no, it was in 12, 1993, in Jasper, Alabama, Baptist. Well, I've got some other Baptists. Baptist was baptized when I was 10, First Baptist Tuscaloosa, by my dad, who was a Baptist oh. preacher. That before they went so dead gone Bundy. <laughs> well, I guess I'm the only one that's had a double, which I know is not supposed to be theologically sound. <laughs> grew up Methodist, so I know I was christened as a baby, probably in Hampton, Virginia, and then we joined the Baptist Church. And I, I don't know how old I was, but I was baptized with my daughter when she was in first grade at First Baptist, and it was it was so meaningful. Not just being baptized with her, but um, the believer's baptism and the symbolism of what that meant yeah. to me in my life was really neat. And that's Allison Dubby. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We have Fontaine. Uh, Fontaine Hope, and I was baptized as a infant at St. Luke's here in Birmingham. I'm Stephen Green. I'm the shepherd. Um, and I was baptized, uh, I think I was seven, maybe, uh, at Mount Hope Baptist. Mm-hmm. And I'm Gil Cracky. Uh, Baptized in the church where I grew up in, a tiny church, very small Episcopal church in Sealy, Texas. Also as an infant. And um, that's it. Thanks. Um, yeah, so tons of different stories and even language about christening versus mm-hmm. baptism, which is interesting. I mean, we caught, we we really hear that more with uh, communion, the other sacrament that we do around here, where people will say like Eucharist, communion, Lord's Supper, the Mass, all meaning pretty much the same thing and so like when people use language of christening usually there was water hopefully in the word and we would call that baptism um, so that's what we're talking about here um, and uh, Gil and I have been sort of batting around this topic together off and on for the past few years so when um, putting together the uh, timeline for our inquiries class this term, I asked Gil if he wouldn't mind coming in and, and sort of rehashing this with me a little bit so we're going to kind of do a little bit of a conversation between uh, me and him for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll um, open it up to you if you have any sort of uh, questions. But uh, before always looking at, um, well, first of all, we're going to pray. Let's pray. I'm going to pray. This is the collect from, uh, we'll have next Sunday, uh, the third Sunday in Lent. I've done this before here. Uh, It's one that um, I think is very powerful, and again, I think it speaks to our topic today. Let's pray. Almighty God, who seest that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves, 
Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body, and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I was going to say, after prayer, one thing we ought to do when looking at every topic around here is uh, contemplate scripture first and foremost. So just thinking about baptism, what does scripture say? Well, an awful lot. We can't look at it all, but I just brought in a few passages um, here on the um, first page of the the handout that I've uh, passed around. If you haven't got it, it's probably somewhere in the room. Uh, but the first thing just to look at, I'm going to look at these four, and uh, um, they say slightly different things about baptism. There are other places that we can go in the scriptures that will add to it, but I thought this would be plenty for today, maybe even too much. But here we have Matthew 28, the end of Matthew's gospel, where Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, we see that baptism is mentioned. So this is the resurrected Christ who says, uh, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So a few things that we can say about this is that first, um, the idea of being a disciple, which means to be a Christian, that's one thing I'll, def I'll define in this class, especially as we get towards the end, is you've probably heard that word disciple before. That's really, the, that word is used in the New Testament more than the word Christian, which is only used once, I think, in Acts at Antioch. But disciple is used basically to mean the same thing, a follower of Jesus Christ. And here we see that that concept is, is equated. Like if someone is going to be a, become a Christian, be baptized. Is what it, it, Jesus is saying, have them baptized when they become followers of me. And he gives a formula, actually, one that happens to do it, uh, not just to pour water on them or to immerse them in water or however the water is used, but to also say the words of the Trinity, that they're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so... Uh, um, and so here we see that, first of all, it's, it's a command, and it's equated with the idea of being a Christian, and we're given the Trinitarian formula. And here in Acts, uh, famously, Peter preaches the sermon after uh, the Holy Spirit um, descends upon him and all the disciples, and uh, a great crowd is there witnessing this, and uh, hears Peter preach the gospel, and uh, here's the response from them. Now when they heard uh, this, they were cut to the heart and said, uh, <clears throat> said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So a little more uh, said, first being cut to the heart, sort of language about conversion. Um, they've heard the word, and it's, um, they're kind of at a point of no return with respect to this good news. And they say, what, what do we do now? And Peter says, repent. Uh, which the Greek word uh, means to change one's mind or to turn. In one phrase, repent and be baptized, every one of you, um, 
And uh, theology given here that this is equated also with the concept of being forgiven of sins and also being given the Holy Spirit. So more said than what we saw in Matthew 28 to add to the concept of baptism. And then also adding here, we won't get too sticky into the weeds here, but this is also one of the big two controversies around baptism, or there are really three big ones that we won't address too much here. But here it says you and... uh, and your children. Um, And so uh, um, it seems to at least imply, if not be clear, that uh, baptism is also for um, their children. And uh, and also just theologically too, here's a question that we'll start to talk about when I bring Gil in, is what role do we play in baptism? And you see here that Peter is saying that uh, God uh, calls you to himself. Um, and so, uh, so what you know, what role, if any, do we play in in the act of baptism and repentance if God is calling us to Himself? And so now, uh, Romans six. Um, this is in uh, the beginning of Romans, the big chunk of Romans where Paul's giving a, a great treatment of of the gospel and what this means. Concepts like justification, if you've heard that, and here he's talking about baptism in the midst of all that. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so here... Adding more complexity to the topic, the baptism is, inc- is equated with Christ's death and resurrection, a dying and a rising to new life, a newness of life. Um, and then finally, uh, here in Ephesians, not one place that you might think to go to to talk about baptism is the famous passage that people don't like to have read at weddings, um, where Paul's talking about uh, um Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And in the context of all that, we hear this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so even more information about baptism um, that... uh, it's, uh, of course, a, a washing of a sense. Um, universally understood that water is used, at least for uh, many things, but one is, is to wash things. Um, and so we see that here, uh, that baptism is equated. You, I mean, uh, you can lean back into some other passage, washing of what? Washing away uh, of uh, our guilt of, of, of sinfulness. And also in that Ephesians passage, the mention of the word, just as in, in Jesus and uh, post-resurrection, pre-ascension, Matthew 28 gives the command for baptism, says in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not baptism if there's no word. It ha- it, 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 if, that, if it were pro- po- possible to baptize people without the word and it would do something, I'd just go on the street corner with the fire hose. And, <laughs> you know, but that's not going to work. It has to... Um, one of the things that's involved, at least, is um, is the word. And I would add to that faithfulness as well. Uh, it's not done in faith and without the word. It doesn't matter um, what's going on. So, so much in those uh, 
passages, and uh, there were some other things that we wanted to kind of talk about symbolically. Any sort of responses or reflections, Gil? Where do you want to take us? We got to start. Yeah. Six minutes. Um, so the two images, whether it's uh, baptism is death or baptism is washing. Let's talk about those. Yeah, we talked a lot about that in preparation. Yeah, and I think that's a good yeah. maybe entrance point here in a short amount of time. Those are the two images that the New Testament has for baptism. Well, of course, uh, <coughs> washing makes sense, I think obviously with the water especially like if you think about this good argument for why it's symbolically helpful to do an immersion baptism Mm -hmm. which we don't do because you're sort of like not a lot's getting washed so you're just sprinkling water on the head but but with the death thing um that's probably a little bit more difficult to sort of unpack yeah Uh, and one thing that we talked about uh is just sort of the idea of the baptism as a drowning um it's not just a sprinkling or an immersion, but but a drowning. And that comes out of Romans six, especially. Yeah. I guess the the death and locus classicus, as they would call it. Um. So as Matt and I were talking, as we were talking, talking not to them. Um, one thing I remembered, and I think you had a similar story, and this kind of brings the affect into the room. When I was probably eight years old, uh, I was at the beach with like family like friends of my mom and dad. I didn't know them very well, but, but we saw them at the beach once a year, maybe every, every year. Uh, and one of them, his name was Daryl. He was probably six, eight years older than I am. So when I'm eight, he's like 16. That's a big deal, you know. I mean, it's like the big boy and all that. But I'm trying to, like, keep up with him and all that. And he was cool then. He's cool now. He went on to be, like, a, you know, a pilot and sort of, what's that? Anyway, never mind. He's just, a, he's a cool guy. Um, every, every day of his life, Daryl's been cool. <laughs> so I'm trying to hang out with the cool kid who's like eight years older than I am. I could hardly swim as a kid. I had tubes, didn't learn, etc. and so forth. I am way out of my league into the surf out in Surfside in uh, in Texas and I'm sort of bouncing up and down in the sand. You know, the water's right here. It's doing all that. And I fall in a hole. I mean, I go underwater. Um, and as I remember it, uh, not swimming well, I mean, I was flailing my legs around underneath. I was trying to just go to the bottom so I could spring up, which is what I did at the pool. A few times Mm -hmm. I went to the pool, and I could not find the bottom. I think I remember the panic setting in, that this is the hole to China that you always hear about. I mean, I have found it, and there is no help. And I mean, I remember just the fear. I don't know if you've been in that place beneath the water where there is no oxygen. Mm -hmm. And then the hand. And I get pulled up, and it's, I mean, I'm like, I almost cry. And it's just like Daryl, every day of his life was cool. He just moves me aside, and he's hanging out with some girl that he's trying to impress. And the cool thing, he wasn't even trying to be impressive. He was like, you're all right. It was that simple. You're all right. He just put me on, on sand again, where I could stand. Is that what he said to you, you're all right? I, Maybe. I, I don't like remember said that. Something what did I, what did I say? I, I don't remember. remember. It seemed so, more profound than you. Oh, right. You didn't reach for him. I didn't reach for him. He just pulled down. Um, <coughs> I knew that I was okay. You're okay. You're secure. You can stand. You're going to make it. You're alive. Um, those words of life. And I think that, not to be overly dramatic, but the Bible, because baptism always involves water and the word, there is the way to hear the word where the word does something. The level of when we read the scripture, the, the, the best question to ask is not what does this mean? 
the best question to ask is what is the word doing? What's it doing? It's not meaning, it's doing. The word does something. And in baptism, the word's doing something. Picking me up, saying, you're okay. You know, coming out, which is why I like the immersion better. Pitch to you. Sprinkle's fine. You know, I was sprinkled. I think two-thirds of the room were sprinkled. Um, uh, because it's not the amount of water anymore that matters. It's the word. Um, but the image of having to come up from the surface. <gasps> life. Baptism is new life. Baptism is um, repentance is is new life. Um, I could say more about that, but pitch it to you. Um, yeah, uh, I have a similar story about um, where I almost drowned at a water park and a lifeguard pulled me out. I don't know if he said anything, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a great image that's very similar to that gasping of breath. If you've seen the movie Matrix, after Neo mm. leaves the Matrix and he's in the mm. sewage and he comes up. Uh, and uh, it's sort of the first gasp of real breath on his own. Uh, it's almost sort of like a baptismal kind of. And he's left. I mean, if you know the film, you don't really need to know it to understand it. But like as Paul says in Colossians, we've been called out of darkness into the kingdom of of, the, of light, of the kingdom of the sun. Called out of darkness, all those who have not repented, who have not been called to the Father, have, have basically not been baptized, are in the kingdom of darkness and uh, being brought into the light. And that's kind of what happens to Neo when mm -hmm. leaving the Matrix and now in the real world. Mm -hmm. And then there's the scene from the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, well, this morning. Were you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. you. What do you remember about it? It just when he comes out of the sewage, then yeah. he's yeah. like, ah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the cover of the, the poster. The poster, of the, the movie trailer's poster. Where he, yeah. if you remember, he's like the Cruciform so, and everything. So. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, out of out of prison into freedom. Um, of course, that was and, always an effort, but that's not what? a perfect. Uh, yeah, no, it's not <laughs> a perfect. But here's here's a better one then that comes from C.S. <coughs> Lewis. If you've read the, um, I think it's it's not Fritz Caspian. It's the Voyage of the Boy, Dog Treater, um, where Eustace, who's this really whiny kid, he's made somehow magically when he goes into Narnia which is this magical world or Aslan who's the Christ figure is a lion somehow magically makes Eustace become a dragon and because he's such a crabby monstrous little kid he's made basically what he, he's made into what he is actually is this dragon <laughs> and Aslan um, <clears throat> after Eustace for two chapters is a dragon is going to allow Eustace to no longer be a dragon but to become a boy again and he says you have to get in this bath I mean it's very literally a baptismal mm -hmm. scene he says, but before you go into the bath you have to take off your dragon skin and Eustace tries to pull off the dragon skin and he pulls it off one time and he's still a dragon and he pulls it off a second time and it hurts you know he's using his dragon claws and teeth to pull off the dragon skin he's still a dragon and Aslan says <clears throat> I have to do it for you. And so Aslan takes his lion claws, which are, he's a, mm -hmm. he's a larger lion than normal lions is usually the description. So you imagine this large lion with his claws and digs his claws into the dragon and takes the skin, the cuts dragon the skin off, cuts to the heart, yeah. and Eustace is baptized and becomes a boy again. Um, and so, you know, I think that here's the thing about, you know, when you're reading Acts and uh, the way Peter describes it, uh, and in even Matthew, when Jesus is describing it, for the early church, there really was no understanding of faith without baptism. I mean, it, other than the 
thief on the cross who wasn't baptized, which is sort of an argument for you don't necessarily need to be baptized to go to heaven. But for them, just they're, they're, with faith came baptism. Okay, you're, you're a disciple now. Let's baptize you. Let's symbolize what has happened, which is, I think, while we're trying to get at this sort of like the drowning or the Eustace dragon thing, I think some of that's lost when we just, the technical term is effusion or we sprinkle. Mm-hmm. The like baby in the white gown, you know, I think the, when it's merely sentimental, we lose that, um, the powerfulness of the yeah. death and yeah. life. There's a drama there. Yeah. And was that baptism, didn't it used to be done once a year at Easter? And so it was the death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. I mean, the church would prepare people. Right. So not yeah. infants, but They would use the people. liturgical season. To they used the liturgical season. So then it was made with the, the death and resurrection. And Any other thoughts, Gil? Yeah, one other thing I put out on the table, and maybe we open up to yeah. conversation. Um, so Lenten preaching series several years ago, one of my own sort of theological heroes, Fitzsimmons Allison, um, retired bishop of South Carolina and a church historian. He talked about metanoia. I'm going to geek out just a little bit, Greek geek, um, which is just the, the Greek word for, uh, for repent, for repentance. Uh, and he said, Paul didn't have another word. He actually is like, so the, the, he's not saying the Bible is wrong, but it used the only word that Paul had. Meta, which is like, you know, really big and change, and then noying is just mind. And so we normally hear of repentance being a change of mind. Like, oh, I did that wrong. I didn't do that right. I need to go the other way. Sort of like the flaw in the Shawshank Redemption. It's like, I resolve to leave. Well, he turned it around and he said, it's not metanoia. It's metacardia, and he kind of made up a word. It's got to be a change of heart. And remembering if the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind, the mind's at the top of the ladder. The mind justifies. And so what the mind is captive to the will, and the will is captive to the heart. It's all about the heart. So Axe gets it cut to the heart. Eustace gets it. Um, Aslan has to cut him all the way to the heart, right down to the quick. This idea that you have to go all the way in, and as Ezekiel would say, he's also talking about some baptism here. Um, he says in three or four different places, that the Lord speaks. Remember, the word always goes with the water. I will give you a new heart, not an improved heart. I'm not going to wash your already you know, existing heart. I'm going to take out that heart. I'm going to put a new heart in. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is a completely new heart where it gives a new will and then a new mind. Um, and so metanoia, this idea of coming to one's, um, to, uh, to having a new mind, last word I'd say, um, thinking about this, I was reminded of a great phrase in Paul. The only time he, he said this, this word, talking about repentance, in 2 Timothy um, 2.25, you can turn if you have it, it says, And God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. I just want to break that out a little bit, that God may, so it's his work, his work how, his work is always via the word. The word has to go with the water. So God may, God will, we talk about the will of God, but the word does something, more than meaning it does, so God wills it into existence, that God may, via his word, perhaps grant, grant, gift, give, um, this uh, always, not my own doing, but something which was given, that God may perhaps give uh, 
them repentance, the change of mind, and the change of heart, uh, leading to a knowledge of the truth, what is certain, true, actual, and real, um, knowledge of the truth, not a falsehood, not a maximized or a minimized reality, some form of denial, but what's really true. Sobriety is what the word is there. And so if you're into the 12 steps, step one, two, and three, they get this in spades, came to see that my life was unmanageable and I was powerless, that it was a passive gift that was given. Uh, and then he has this great word, which I just am in love with, this little word, that they may come to their senses. Um, and this idea of coming to the senses is this idea which Matt put on the top of, a, of Martin Luther, where I see now. I've recovered. I've been revived. I've been given new life. Before, I didn't see. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. That this great word of coming to your senses, and this is the reason I'm into it, is the reformers, this is, this is how they saw it. I don't want to go all the way into that, but the Reformation in large part was about repentance as it was mediated in the, uh, in the sacraments of baptism and, and the Lord's Supper, the Mass. Uh, so it was all about repentance and recovering the sense that Paul has of becoming sober, seeing things as they actually are, calling a spade a spade. I see it now. <gasps> Air. I have to have it. You know, it's no longer my it's no longer my life, but the life that's Daryl given to me. Um, it's uh, and then uh, and then we're free. And it's just a simple sort of what's all this for? Freedom. There it is. I mean, it's baptism is, re is repentance, repentance and baptism. It's for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So put that on the table. Sure. If anyone wants to resonate with it, come into your senses, AA. We've got two um, minutes. Lots of things. Maybe, so, a, yeah, a, pitch non, it over. maybe a non profound question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually like for you to clarify, like, yeah, non profoundly. Like, um, we all listed our um, denominations that we were baptized in. I think it's important for everybody to know that we don't. You know, expect another baptism in the Episcopal Church, or, right? And then it doesn't matter if you're baptized as an infant or an adult, or right. I mean, anything else you want to add to that? Exactly what she said. Yeah, um, yeah. We don't um, require a rebaptism. Right. Um, uh, if you don't know whether you were baptized or not, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, uh, Why is time. infant baptism such a great picture? So yeah, that is a good point. I mean, with what we're talking about, you know, thinking of the Eustace scene. It's a misnomer to call baptism of a sort of older child or an adult believer's baptism. That's usually pitted against infant baptism. Infant baptism is a believer's baptism. The, uh, the, the belief is spoken on the child's behalf through the parents and godparents. Um, and so here's the thing. I mean, with all that you were just saying... This is why we don't baptize ourselves. You know, I mean, if right. if I could, if I couldn't have faith, I could just go get a pitcher of water and sort of be like, you know, I baptize myself in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nobody does that. I mean, in all traditions, even those who have sort of <clears throat> unclear theology about it, they still require someone else to baptize you, and that's because um, you, you know you're you're bringing as. Uh, Stephen, this is why we put this on the coattails of Stephen's lesson last week, bring nothing to the equation uh, except for sin and guilt, or as Rod Rosenblatt would say, cholesterol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean... Does that get washed away too? 
so so an, a baby is a good image of they're helpless you know they, they were actually brought to the font by someone else and walked there of their own accord but the thing is that that means inevitably that the parents are agreeing therefore to share this faith with the child it's not done there at the font and we're like okay it's fire insurance they're they're okay. No, I mean we want to share the faith with them. But that's not necessarily true if you had non-believing parents. But yeah, that's why we shouldn't baptize babies with non-believing parents. <laughs> but it's not about repentance. And I mean, the they don't know they're church. not believing, but they are members of a church and have yeah. come. And, and it's what you do. And I would say and eventually, that, my parents came to Christ in their 80s. Yeah. They were non-believers. Yeah. They were churchgoers. Yeah. So what you're saying... This is a big problem culturally. The believing word has to actually then be the Bible itself, not the word of the parent. Yeah, and this and is why it's, sometimes, it, you know... Well, at least there's a believer in the room, hopefully, with the, the, the minister and the godparents, maybe. You know, somebody's there to, to attest to it. But it is a real problem yeah. when at least yeah. one of the parents, yeah. Yeah. one of the parents really ought to be, or, or a godparent, if the parents are going to allow the child to be baptized, if the godparent is going to be the one to share the faith with that them. That means that the, belief, that the man in the clergy has to be a believer. Which is not necessary. Well, let's not get into weeds. Let's not get into weeds. But I'm with you. I'm with you in your drift. Wouldn't the idea be that the baptism is a supernatural act? By supernatural, an act of the Spirit. Right. right. That's where Paul goes in Romans 6. That's right. And actually drew me through my non believing years to Christ. But it wasn't. I don't believe it was the pastor. I don't nope. believe it nope. was It's the word. The word does the work. The word. And I yep. think that's a big distinction in understanding infant baptism, that it is grounded in the word. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And not necessarily in man. Don't hear what I'm saying about the parents to be, um, what do I want to say? I don't want everything that I just said about the parents to contradict everything that we said. All that I'm saying is to take this seriously with integrity, at least some of the parents if we're doing this, ought to be a believer. Um, otherwise, because we're we're not ensuring that that child per se is going to be raised in the in a faithful household. So what we ought to do is not just sort of like say no, but let's have a conversation. Let's have a conversation about what it means to be a believer. Let's have a conversation about what's happening here uh, with the, the baptism before it happens. Well, next week I'll talk about the Lord's Supper, and as we talked about uh, baptism and uh, um, brought in the idea of repentance. I'm going to bring in the idea of grace when we talk about the Lord's Supper or communion, you could call it next week. Gil, would you say a word of prayer for us as we leave? Father, we thank you that you do the work. Um, The work is done on us. Um, It's good news, Lord, that we can't baptize ourselves, that we cannot save ourselves, that ultimately we're, we're free to rest in the promise and the certainty that you and you alone are the one who does the work on us through your word um, on account of Christ and his cross. Um, thank you for that knowledge. It's too wonderful for us. Um, let us live in the, uh, in the gracious and merciful um, luxury of that assurance that nothing and no thing will be able to separate us from you. Um, thank you for this group in a particular way, for Matt and Fontaine and their leadership. Um, bless us and keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.